This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we have some fascinating text today for our liturgy. Text from the book of the prophet Daniel and the eschatological section of Mark's Gospel. These texts continue to confuse, confound, and beguile us thousands of years after they were written. Many people today take them literally and look for the imminent end of the time-space continuum. Think of that left-behind series of books that presented the uh, biblical scenario of the end of the world in a very literalistic way, as if it was predicting events that would happen in the near future. Can I suggest this is not the best way to approach these literarily and theologically very complex texts. Let's look first at the book of Daniel. Our first reading is a passage from the book of Daniel. In the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament that many first century Jews used, the book of Daniel was the very last book of the Bible. It's not in that position now in most of our Bibles, but it was in those days. And that tells you a great deal, as though the whole of biblical revelation was moving toward the book of Daniel. What do we hear? In our passage for today, we hear of a great tribulation that will signal the end of the old world and the arrival of a new one. An angel appears to Daniel and reveals to him the terrible struggle that would precede the end of all things. He goes through a list of kings and battles that would lead up to the cataclysmic struggle against a wicked king who would use all his power to resist. Only with the help of angels, he discovers, would the Israelites finally triumph. For this would be, and I'm quoting now from the passage, a time of great distress, unparalleled, since nations first came into existence. But, Daniel assures us, after the struggle, the faithful Israelites would win and those who had died would rise and a time of peace would ensue. In other words, an old order, an old world would give way and a new world would be unveiled. This is why, by the way, Texts such as this are often called apocalyptic, from the Greek word meaning unveiling. Calypsis, a veil, apo, to take away. The apocalyptic texts take away the veil. They reveal, revelatio in the Latin translation of it. They reveal something. Namely, that God would finally put an end to the old order symbolized and embodied by all those wicked kings, and he would establish a new one. Now, 
When Jesus first appeared publicly, he began preaching the arrival of God's kingdom, God's reign, God's great way of ordering things. This is why, from the very beginning, he was opposed. His enemies knew that his preaching and lifestyle were dead set against their way of ordering things. Even his great prayer was provocative. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Well, see, if this new kingdom is to come, it means the old kingdoms have to go. And see, they didn't miss that. We're going to probably over-spiritualize that language right away, but they got it. If this new kingdom of God arrives, the old kingdoms have to fade away. Now, anyone in the first century hearing Jesus and aware of the book of Daniel would have known that a great tribulation was coming, that something was about to give way and something new was about to be unveiled and that the transition would be painful. Now, I would submit to you, friends, it's against this background that we can begin to understand what Jesus was saying and doing in front of the temple. Our gospel brings us now toward the very end of Jesus' life. He comes with his disciples and he sits down across from the temple. Now, right away, that's interesting, isn't it? It's as though Jesus stands over and against the temple. It's as though his very stance is a judgment on it. And then this becomes even clearer. The disciples are overwhelmed by the beauty and majesty of the place. And now, it's understandable, isn't it? Here's these kind of country bumpkins from up around Galilee, these rather simple men. When they saw the temple, they had seen nothing like that anywhere. Of course they were overwhelmed, impressed by it. But Jesus tells them, don't be so impressed. Because, and I'm quoting now from his words, not one stone will be left upon another. See, imagine how, how, how extraordinary that was to hear. They're in front of the most impressive building they've ever seen. One of the most impressive buildings in the ancient world. People came from all over the world to see the Jerusalem temple. For a Jew, this was everything. And here it was in all of its splendor. And Jesus, rather than praising it, announces its imminent destruction. The temple, the center of Jewish cultural, political, religious life, Jesus knew had become corrupt and therefore was an apt symbol of the old world, of that old order and all of its negativity. Now we can perhaps better understand some of those very strong polemics against the temple in John the Baptist and in Jesus himself. Remember, John lures people away from Jerusalem out into the desert, and there he performs this ritual cleansing, the baptism. 
Well, that's what pilgrims did, of course, in the temple. They'd come to this holy place, they'd go through the mikvah, the sacred bath, and then be ready to make sacrifice. John says, no, no, the ritual bath is now out here. And, and he says, in regard to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, announcing that the true sacrifice is not in that old temple, but is Jesus himself. He, too, is announcing the passing away of an old order and the coming of a new one. But let's go back now to the gospel for today, this text for today. Jesus lays out for his followers what it will be like when the old order gives way. Listen now. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, friends, again, don't literalize this text. I mean, indeed, stars could hardly fall from the sky. I mean, the ancient world, they might have imagined that, but what would it be like if a star fell on the earth? Well, a star is, is massively bigger than the earth. They can't fall on the earth. The point is, don't literalize it. But try to read it more symbolically. For ancient peoples especially, still true to some degree today, but especially for them, the heavenly bodies were the means of illumination and navigation. One steered oneself by these heavenly powers. Think of someone in the ancient world who's sailing on the Mediterranean or even trying to walk uh, through the, the open country at a dark night. They'd be looking up to the heavens to guide their way. Well, see, when the old world gives way, we don't quite know where we're going. When all of those powers and institutions and assumptions that we thought were basic collapse, we will tend to wander around lost. Well, see, Jesus' whole life and ministry is the announcing of the breakup, the breakdown of an old order of things and all of its attendant institutions and assumptions. So, of course, the sun will be darkened and the moon and the stars will fall. We're not quite sure where we are. How exactly does the old world give way? It gives way on the cross of Jesus. Think now, all the powers, secular and religious, Roman and Jewish, the scribes and Pharisees of the temple, Jesus' own followers, all of them ganged up on the rabbi from Nazareth or they ran from him or they betrayed him or denied him. This one who was proposing a new vision of life, this new kingdom of God, a reign of love, inclusion, nonviolence, the forgiveness of sins, the availability of grace, the brotherhood of all people. Well, see, what was that? What was that? But a threat to the powers that be. In those days, as in ours, very often society is structured according to just the opposite of those things. It's often the way of hatred, of exclusion, of violence, of retribution, of tit for tat. That's the world that we live in. Jesus' kingdom is the arrival of a new world. 
See, and this is why the cross represents the battle. It represents that tribulation that Daniel was talking about. The cross of Jesus is the cataclysmic struggle between the old world and the emerging new world. This is why the sky is darkened at Jesus' death and also why at his death the curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. The powers rose up and Jesus fought them through nonviolence and forgiveness. And in that struggle, the old gave way. What did the first Christians see in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? They saw that the battle had been won and they saw that the kingdom had indeed arrived. They saw, listen now, unveiled to them. They saw an apocalypse, the unveiling of a whole new world. That's what they announced. And they saw Jesus, therefore, as the fulfillment of Daniel's apocalyptic prophecy. Now, you might ask, well, what's left? We'll look around. It's still plenty clear that the mop-up work continues. Though the great victory's been won, God's kingdom is more powerful, more enduring than all the fallen kingdoms of the world. Nevertheless, there's a lot of hatred, violence, division, anger, lack of love. It's the church's job now to do this mop-up work. It's the church's job to engage this struggle knowing that we will win, knowing that in Christ we have already won. And so it's with that confidence that we step out of the old world, even when it looks powerful to us, and we join in the struggle for the kingdom of God. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.